Welcome to the Lexington Cash Podcast Voice. Today we cover three main things. One is paid traffic or organic. What is the main one and when should you switch? Second one is you're doing well on one platform. How do you know when to go to other platforms? And then what revenue level we have gone and we actually recommend you go. And the third one is if you have an offer that you've been pushing, but it's kind of dying, but it used to do well. How do you bring that back and make that same offer look new every time so you can get the sales you got in month one next month? See you inside. All right, what's the tweet? All right, so I just saw this tweet literally posted 20 minutes ago from NFT God. Well, President, good guy. But I disagree with this tweet. He said, the biggest issue with X right now is the insane increasing increase in these boring hustle accounts. Agree. Accounts built with the sole purpose of monetization and shoving offers down your throat. Perfectly optimized bio, perfectly optimized profile picture. There's nothing wrong with turning your X account into a business, but if your sole purpose on the app is to turn your audience into a marketing funnel, you're wrong. This is social media. If your profile yells, I'm here to sell you something, nobody will follow you. Nobody will care. Be human, make friends, and share your unoptimized thoughts. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's really good marketing for him. <laughs> it's because you're taking the morals, the the moral high ground. It's equivalent of, you see this a lot, like when people complain and like they're, uh, they're having an argument, but it's like, no, but like, what does the law say? What is the good thing to say? When I used to come back from playing soccer late at night in my neighborhood, uh, my mom hated it. And I would come in late and I'd be like, but mom, it's just like five or 10 minutes late. Like, it's okay. She'd be like, she'd pull out the moral frame on me. She'd go with, or the moral high ground on me. She'd go, take it. Do you think a child of God disobeys his parents? Like, I guess, I guess not, Bob. I guess you win the argument, right? So this is kind of like that. It's using the moral high ground as in my main goal is not making money. Everyone's goal is making money, but I think it's good marketing for him. I disagree with the take, but I guess there's an intent behind it, which is quite smart. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I've slowly become more into this mind that why are you using social media if it's not to, for business, right? What first, if you think of social media outside of using it for business, it's almost primarily negative. It's like it ruins your dopamine. You're comparing yourself to others. You're wasting time, not getting sunlight, like. 90% of social media is kind of good unless you're using it for business. So that's kind of how I started to see it. I understand like making friends and stuff because I've made friends on social media. Hello, this podcast, right? But I was using it for business already and that was kind of a side effect, right? So I don't agree because I don't think you should be using social media to make friends all day. Like go outside and make friends, right? Go travel, go do stuff and make friends. If you're just on social media to make friends and socialize, I feel like there's better ways to accomplish that. So if you're not using social media for business, it's probably not the best fit, especially if you're listening to this podcast. Like, you know what I mean? So I disagree. I think it's a little disingenuous. Yeah. You know, it's like the people are like, I'm, I'm just here to make friends. I'm just here to help. I'm just here to add value. To me, that speaks a bigger red flag than I'm here to sell you something because it's disingenuous. I don't personally, I don't believe somebody can be here just to make friends, add value and 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 help and i really don't like it when i see in people's profiles like automatic red flag yeah for me i'd rather you you just sell me something is any think of every big influencer ever are any of them on social media to make friends i think mr beast is like i'm gonna make a youtube video to find friends today <laughs> <laughs> no 
right? So I, I, I don't think anyone's ever really grown that way, ever. Name one. Name one person whose sole purpose was to grow and make friends. No, their purpose was to grow and either entertain, educate, sell something, right? But it's a business. If you if you want to be an entertainer, it's a business. So I don't I don't think any creator should be on there to make friends. If you are a consumer, sure. Not a creator. Yeah, I don't I don't understand it. We can make this part about takes we disagree. We could we could do that. We like stuff we disagree on. I want to say something I changed my mind on. If we give away the sauce for free, people will pay you to cook it for them. I was wrong. I do not think that is a good take anymore. Because when was the last time you got a ton of money from people? It's like this is enough for you to do the thing and be like, let me just pay him instead of like doing the thing that he just gave me the entire playbook. Eddie covered this on the spot. He gave away two emails, one which was really emotional and showing a case study and another one which he gave the entire guide on how he runs his business. The emotional one that was a couple hundred words, completely outperformed. Like the other one got no responses. This one got like seven clients or something. So that is one take I had that I now really disagree with. Go and give everything away for free. Keep the good stuff inside. You make people emotional with your content and then you give them the value behind closed doors. That is my opinion. Yeah, uh, I've I've adopted the same opinion. I've tried to give stuff away for free. But lately in my case studies, I've tried bolstering them a little bit and adding stuff. But I've realized that it doesn't change in performance. The only, the only people that benefited from that are probably people that are trying to copy me or people that aren't really fit for my offer anyway. I try to do it out of the kindness of my heart. And, you know, as I've been in the game longer, I've gotten further and further up the knowledge ladder. So I feel like I can give away a little bit more from the bottom stuff that I figured out a while ago. But yeah, I just, I find it tough to give away strategies. I had a, a sales call two days ago and long story short, he wasn't a fit for my offer, but uh, I wanted to give him help anyway. I was asking for all of his numbers, his, his show rate, his follower conversion, everything. How many calls you're booking? And I was trying to give him pointers, but I, I really couldn't leak everything because I'm just like, uh, it's my, I, I'd be doing a disservice by the people who do pay me by giving it away for free. Do you feel that way? Like you feel like if you just start giving everything away for free, what will the people inside think? Yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't like it. I like to actually flip that dynamic. I feel like people treat prospects better than they treat clients. And I think that's wrong. Yeah. I think you should treat clients way better than you treat prospects. So a practical way of the way I'm doing this is as you join the, uh, the community, you have the portal with a bunch of trainings. And now I don't sell separate trainings to other people. I say, I'm going to run this training for my community. The example is I read a training on how to grow and monetize your account. If you want to buy a day pass, you can. And the interesting thing about this and how it kind of got some people interested in the community instead of just buying the day pass, which was 100 bucks just for that one class that I did live, was along the document, I used to tell people, by the way, if you want more information on this, go to the portal, which by the way, day pass people don't have access to. If you want more access on this, go to the Slack channel on this that day pass people don't have access to. So I just think that you should treat clients way better. I don't believe in equal treatment. Treat people will give you money better. You know what? I also think there's something to be said, the saying you can make your free stuff better than other people's paid stuff. I think you can actually accomplish that without giving away everything, all your secrets as well. Like if I think of Alex Sharbozy, right? He kind of coined this term and made it popular. And his free stuff is better than most people's paid stuff. But he's still only giving away like 1% of what they actually do for companies, right? Like acquisition.com is huge on recruiting, right? They place crazy talent. They have SOPs. They have tons of stuff that they're placing into your business to grow it. 
They're not giving that away for free. All they're giving away for free is surface level knowledge for them. But if your surface level knowledge is so much higher than everyone else's peak knowledge, you can give away stuff that's free better than everybody else's paid stuff. Kind of how I was just saying, I could put more in my case studies now, which is my bottom of my totem pole information because the top of the totem pole is so much further now. So if you just know more, you can still have free stuff better than people's paid stuff while I'm still not giving away nearly anything close to what you're giving away for your, for your paid clients. So I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, how I look at it, how I look at it is you give, you give away the, the what, not the how. So if you wanted to look at it in practical ways, a good way to book calls fast is just DM people who engage with your stuff. You give away the what, but I sent out a video on the actual scripts that we use. I regret posting that video because then everybody started using the same scripts and I hated it. And it got like really common. And it got me zero clients, right? So I give away the what, use DMs for that. But I'm not going to give away the scripts because then one is not fair for the people who actually gave me money for that script. And two is I'm actually not giving you a reason to work with me because I gave you the thing. Yeah. Like that's not the point of running a business. I'm not running a charity here. Yeah. One way I've helped to mitigate like the need for scripts is just using scripts, not templates, but guides. So Something that you, and you already posted the video, so I could probably say this, but something that you taught me was like the five things, like the, the, the gap and the offer and the, the need for information, right? Stuff like that. Using that as guardrails for a conversation. But if you just are always being a human, it's more the, the actual DM setting skill is more of a, a conversation skill and a trait that you learn. And it's kind of like socializing more than scripting, just because like you said, scripts are so saturated in general, even with or without that video you posted, everyone's using the same scripts already. So I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. I think if you have the conversational skills that get better and better, your DM setting will get better. But I think what's important is having those guardrails and knowing how to identify where you're at in the conversation. Like if somebody's answering the second question, you're like, sure, book a call. Here's the link. <laughs> Whoa. Do you lean in for the kiss after the first drink? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like that. So I think knowing how to identify where you're at in a conversation is like almost social awareness. And I, and I, I know that I've been training setters like a lot the last month. We onboarded five setters in two weeks. And I was just trying to teach them like, you literally just have to be a human, like going to a bar. And one, of the, one of the guys I hired is like, well, I actually just became a legal drinking age. So I've never been to a bar. I was like, all right, try to imagine it. <laughs> you know how I got my setter back in the day? He, is, he was my friend from, from uh, college. And one day we're having we're having dinner. It's like, yo, like look at these girls I'm, I'm talking to on Tinder, right? So he'd show me his Tinder. The smoothest operator I've ever seen on Tinder, bro. That guy just got, he just closed everyone. I'm like, can you do that but for business in my account? Yeah. It's like, sure, how does it work, right? Like, it's a lot of social awareness. That is true, which you'd be surprised. A lot of people are actually quite socially competent. It's different than being an introvert. It's actually just not knowing how to react to social interactions. Yeah. It's like rare. Like every time I, I, I love this, I don't know if I invented this quote, but I say it to me often. It's just because someone's an entrepreneur, that doesn't mean they're not retarded. So a lot of people are like that. And very the few people that are not, you'd think it's common. It's totally not. And those people don't need the scripts. They just kind of, if you tell them kind of how to navigate the combo, they know what to do. Yeah, well, I think 95% of the of the competition just doesn't have that social awareness. Like you often hear this thing where it's like build rapport. And what does build rapport mean to someone who has social awareness and social skills and someone who's just trying to learn 
some scripts and learn how to make money. Well, you'll see like, uh, for example, and let's give some practicals, an, an amateur an amateur salesperson or DM setter will build rapport. They'll go in their profile be like, wow, amazing work with likes and cash. <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> right? And then someone that actually knows how to build rapport will look for something that they can specifically relate to, right? They'll go to JK's profile and they'll either, maybe they relate with volleyball. Maybe they relate with the anime. Maybe they relate with the Guatemala. Maybe they're Guatemala. Like, oh, I'm from Guatemala. Oh my God. Like, oh, I played volleyball. Like, were you a Lamero or something like that, right? You see how that's much better at building rapport because you're like, oh, I haven't heard that in a while. I, I actually answered the only cold email I ever answered was the script uh, or the subject line was... And because nobody really knows about this. Nobody really knows this about me on social media because I don't post about it anymore unless you do digging. And they said, uh, Arsenal record broken or something like that. Like, I'm a diehard Arsenal fan. I don't tweet it that much. He, he put that in the cold email. I'm like, whoa, Arsenal. I don't get any Arsenal emails. And I ended up responding and letting them send me the, the, the loom pitch. And I ended up not doing it. But you get my point is 99% farther. Yeah, 99% of people don't know how to actually build rapport. And I think that's a big takeaway for for setting. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, when you posted the Toji gif, was that were you were you like baiting me? Ah, like, damn, it's Toji. <laughs> no, I, mean, I think it's just the first one you saw because I've been posting uh, I've been posting like anime. I guess no, I saw the Minato one. Yeah, yeah. I just put, post whatever I'm watching at the time. All right, good. To- Toji is it's it's a it's an anime we're watching if you're new to the pod. Yeah, but if you want to uh, see how we geek out about anime, the last. 15 minutes of the last pod, we only talked about it. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> Best pod ever. But uh, I want to keep going on this train. Takes that you disagree with on the consulting, coaching, marketing world. Do you have a few or should I go? I could start. I think, actually, I saw this tweet from, from Jeremy Moser today and it was like 99% of people won't succeed with IG shout outs because they're already not interesting. They already don't have a lifestyle anyone wants and they already don't have information that pe- people don't need. And I think there was there was this time where people were very against paid outreach and I'm, I mean paid uh, traffic on, on Twitter. And I think Twitter is just, and I saw actually uh, your partner Ryan Booth tweet this. He was like, I do shout outs are okay. Facebook shares are okay. <laughs> Everything else is okay. What's the problem with retweets? Is <laughs> everyone was like, hmm. And I think it, it comes, it's like an infant platform to be fair. It's like a, much old, much younger than the rest of these platforms. But the point I want to make here is that if you don't have an interesting offer, an interesting lifestyle, an interesting background, interesting things to say, there's no amount of paid ads that are going to help you if you can't succeed organically. So I think that's um, an important note because I think some people try to do, you could start with paid and go straight to paid. That's true. But if you don't have a good offer, a good lifestyle, a good brand or anything like that, it won't work. And I think organic is a good litmus test for people to see if that kind of thing is going to work. Oh, what you said, you said the word interesting, like to delve on that, you know, very few people think of themselves as interesting, even though they are. So we've all had this kind of experience where we tell a story and the thing that we find most interesting about the story is not the one that the audience think is the most interesting about the story sometimes, right? So they'll, they'll harp on small details that we didn't even seem relevant right so often i find that that happens with content we overestimate what people will find interesting we think we need big case studies big events when in reality it's the small things that people like they want to know how you set up your loom and zapier automations and they want to know how you come up with hooks this is why i think we covered this a few times but my most popular youtube video it's a loom video of me 
kidnapped. Like, it looks like a kidnap, bro. Like, I'm in the middle of a dark room, shitty lighting. People like me doing, like, my loom stuff. It's because we overestimate what people will find interesting. It's just, it can be as simple as just hitting record on what you're already doing. I covered this in the last one, too, but I went on a coaching call, and only one guy showed up. And we're like, okay, Robert, do you have any questions for me? Or do you want me to just share my screen and work? Like, bro, share your screen. I'm like, I just want their productive hour. And at the end, he's like, this was great. Thank you so much. Like, I really enjoyed this coaching call. I'm like, great. I was going to do this anyway. But I'm like, how do you enjoy this? We overestimate what people find interesting. So everybody's got, I don't want to say everybody because there are losers exist and you should avoid them. But if you listen to the Lex and Cash podcast, you're a winner. So believe in yourself and just share your work. I also think, and this is when, I, when I'm vetting clients to, to bring into the birdhouse, like, I don't look at if a brand is interesting to me. I just think, can it be interesting to somebody? So I think part of it is knowing if you're interesting to somebody or if there's some demographic that you can be interesting to, right? Like I wouldn't find, I think you mentioned him a while ago, I wouldn't find that stylist coach interesting. Personal. Would I still take them as a client? Maybe. Because I have to see, are they interested by, it's anybody interested. Is there a market for it? And I think uh, one way you can look at that is like looking at competitors, doing like a competitor analysis. You showed me recently, it was like you had a uh, coaching call and basically the person had this offer that was abysmal. It was terrible. They had no one, who could they, who was going to buy this? Nobody. And I'm like, that's what I do essentially as, as my, for my agency. I look at somebody's offer and I'm like, is anybody going to buy this? If it's really bad, I'll just cancel the call off my account. If it's really bad. Like someone will be in there and be like, I help digital businesses get digital. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> but if it's, if it has, if it has uh, legs, like anything potential, I'll take the call. And then if it's really, if I'm like, I could do something with this, I'll make an offer. So it kind of goes through those three phases. But yeah, I saw you did that. And I think that's important because you don't have to be Amazon to be successful. You could just be interesting to some people and charge the right amount and make six or seven figures. That's just my, uh, my take on that. Right. There's, it's, it's like a chain. Like you're a link of the chain. There's people ahead of you and behind you. Isn't... So the job is not, you feel like you're irrelevant or you're the last link of the chain because you're only looking forward. But there's people who have achieved less things than you that would love to be in the position you're in. Wiz of Ecom had a great tweet. Uh, remember that a year ago, you were praying for the things you have today. So talk to the people from a year ago. You know what I'm like notoriously bad at over and over? I've been like failing at this record is seeing opportunities in niches. Bro, like I covered this in the Dan Co pod. I always told Dan Co not to get on YouTube because it wasn't his thing. Can you imagine that shit? <laughs> like, horrible take. Uh, Devin, dude, this guy's making... Like, I don't know if I want to disclose, but he's making good money. He's selling 5K quit porn coaching. People pay him five grand for three months of quit porn coaching. And that was wild to me. Like, I actually, I did told him, tell him, uh, brother, like, why don't you just do copywriting or something? Like, quit porn coaching, but just turn off your screen, bro. Like, that's it. <laughs> but he's making good money. There's another one uh, that joined the program. Bro, did you know that there's a huge... A community on Twitter of math teachers now, and people coach math teachers on how to co on how to teach math better, and they make really good money. If you would have told me that was a thing, I would have just told you fuck that. Like that's not a thing. But people are making really good money with it. We we're surprised about what makes money. That is fun. Yeah, and that and that's part of it too. Is like looking at markets. Like that's not that might not be a hundred million dollar market. Like for me, that would have be that probably would have been a good offer for my agency. Because I don't think I can scale that to a million dollars, but can it make two hundred thousand dollars a year? Three hundred, four hundred, probably. So I think that's interesting. I I look at this uh, 
there's another example. Is, uh, I think it's Ben Bader. He was teach or he was marketing for basketball coaches, and she was just helping basketball trainers get clients. I'm like, that's a good market. You could make six figures in it. And then he switched. And now he's making way more. But it's something I was thinking. About. I actually wanted to ask you because I, I remember I coached Devin with you for a while. Uh, I don't know if you could talk about it, but what switched in making him and maybe in general for coaches because he was struggling at first to sell. And then he just started going. What was the mental shift or practical switch that you made that made him succeed? I think there was a mental one and there was a practical one. I start with the mental one. Often when we have a win, we wins come in a bittersweet taste. It's sweet because we had a win, but we also get a little bit anxious because we don't know if we're going to be able to repeat it. This is why sometimes a $100 a month check can feel better than a 1K check one-off because we know that that's going to come anyway. A big part of was getting rid of that, getting rid of the bittersweet taste. And uh, like Emerson has this great quote, which is the bird rests on a branch calmly, not because they trust the branch, but because it trusts its wings. If the branch breaks, it can fly. It was a big part of that self-reliance, knowing that whatever happens, you can handle it. And a good mental shift for that is everybody can have this. Look at how far you've come fucking up the way that you do. Next up is not going to be any different. So that was the mental one. The practical one was not going for an irresistible offer or going for a clear offer. Often we create offers that are like really complex and we promise something big. But the analogy I have for this is let's say there's two people selling to the same person and they're all in a dark room. At the end, there's a diamond. Person A says, there's a diamond right there. Do you want to go? and find it. But it's scary because it's a dark room. You don't really know what's in there. You might fall. Whereas person B, what it does is there's a diamond right there, grabs his flashlight, turns it on, and then you can see the path. Often that is what's missing with the offers is that you're promising the right thing, but you're not making it clear enough how you're going to get to that thing. So when we frame the offer as something that's like step-by-step, step, this is what you do. People were way more willing to look at it because it sounded way more attainable. We promise things that are attainable in our brains, but the audience doesn't look at it that way. So it's not just about giving an outcome, but the path to that outcome. And when we changed those two shifts, he started making a lot of money. It's awesome. I like it. All right. When we get more takes, definitely things you disagree on. We overestimate what people find interesting. I'll, I'll say one. I'll say one because it's um, it's something that I sometimes struggle with. And somebody messaged me today that they struggle with, which is like, my DMs got me crazy. It's like people are pitching me. People are asking me for help. And I'm just like, I'm done. And you get like really combative, you get really bitter and resentful towards those people. And we've done this sometimes. You and I, we've made this mistake. We're like, everyone is saying this. And it's probably like 10 dudes, <laughs> like out of billions of people. And it's not that the our community may be on X or whatever you are. It's not that they represent the entire market. They're just way louder than other people in the market. So that's the only thing you see. Because they're complaining, because they're on the doomsday and they're it's so overfaced, you feel like it's like that. Or because they're so loud and they post so often, you feel like that's the only things you see. Where in reality, if you just muted them, I posted this today. I got I am I'm I'm happy with this statistic. This is part of this is directly correlated to my mental health. I have 1,957 muted accounts and 2,355 blocked accounts. And it is beautiful because I don't see any of that bullshit. Often we are get, get stressful because we think like everybody's doing it like this, but it's not that everyone is doing it. It's just that the people doing it are louder. So the answer to it is, is if you're feeling anxious with people, 
you feel like, you know, people are like having a bad perception of you or everybody wants a piece of you, turn off your phone, go outside. It's not real and it's not happening. Are you, so you're averaging like five to 10 blocked or muted accounts a day. You don't know me, bro. You don't know me. I'm different. I'm different. No, but a lot of them, a lot of them came from this website, which is blocknyt.com. It automatically blocks all New York Times journalists from a guy, from once. And it's just, it just gets them all. So highly, highly recommend. It's a good account. Geotargetly, also a software we all very much love at the business. Geotargetly, by the way, friends, is a software that gives you a certain code. Now, this code is very special because you can put it on your website and you can choose that if somebody's from a certain region, they do not get into your website. You can move them somewhere else. So if you just want to target certain regions or avoid certain regions, geotargetly.com, one of the greatest pieces of software I use. Interesting. Yeah, I was like, how do you block so many accounts? <laughs> I was like, I have like four, like 400 blocked and I've had Twitter since 2011. It's like one every week for my entire existence. So yeah, bro, we're different around here. Uh, okay. Okay. What's one thing you disagree on, on this? You want to go into the next one? Let's go to the next one. Okay. So assistant working with an assistant, I've had two assistants. I had to fire one and then uh, I have this one that's actually working great. And uh, a few mistakes and something that if you want to work with an assistant, I think are going to be helpful. Delegating. And working with an assistant is a muscle. We think that delegating an assistant, like for example, imagine there's two light switches. There's two kinds of light switches. There's the on and off, right? And there's the one that's kind of gradual. Working with an assistant is the gradual. We think that the assistant is the on and off switch. As in, I hired that assistant, done. My life is better. Doesn't work that way. It's a gradual thing. You work together. So that was a mistake. And uh, I actually gave my assistant three core rules for dealing with me because now I understand myself better. The new assistant. And I think they were, uh, they were quite funny and interesting. So number one, the number one priority for working with an assistant, and you guys are free to steal, is the number one priority in your job is knowing and doing. How can I make JK do nothing? So that's number one. And it's awesome. Like when they put that into practice, it's actually really good. Number two, if it's my fault, it's your fault. So like they are kind of babysitting and making sure like these things are right. So... That's the second one. And the third one is assume JK is retarded. <laughs> we're canceled again. <laughs> we've been canceled ever since. We've been canceled ever since the Underworld podcast. Yeah. We get canceled yeah. like every other every, every other episode. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you assume these three things, you're going to do great. So that is something I've been working on with an assistant. I'm curious. What tasks do you have your assistant do? And what tasks are like you think the best in terms of like overall happiness and time back for you. Yeah, my big ones are updating spreadsheets. Like I can't, I I don't like updating spreadsheets with numbers. Basically updating any analytics, projections, KPIs, anything that's related to clients and reporting those numbers. I have that all for my team to do, my assistant, because it's, just, it's a lot. <laughs> I like to be able to just like pull it up and look at it and it's just like updated. It's almost like looking at like a health report all the time. I like being able to just like see the health of people anytime, but I don't like actually having to go in and manually do it because that takes weight. So like, that's the biggest one. Other than that, just like little things, sending out links when people, if my team needs a link from a call recording or something like that, or turning a thread into a carousel, like all of that is taken care of for me, which is huge for me so that I can focus on making decisions. Basically anytime 
I do something and I'm like, no, I just write it down and then I put it on my list to make SOPs, which I have more to make. Uh, but like, that's, that's like my thought process for it. So follow up question on carousel. You create mostly for X, but you can do carousels in X. So how do you repurpose content for your clients? And how do you think about that? Because I'm guessing that's LinkedIn or Instagram. Yeah. So uh, my thought process on this is that if I focus on X, then we can get positive feedback and, and continue to scale at a faster rate in terms of knowledge and performance and, and results. But I do understand that clients have a need for other platforms. Sometimes they want to expand. They want to repurpose the things that we write, the copy that we write into the scripts and carousels and stuff like that. So we have a complimentary carousel service. So we'll make the carousels for them every week free of, without, free of charge without them asking and automatically upload it to the team Google Drive. So they get those. Uh, if they need to use them, they can now use those for Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok. They can read them. So they kind of get everything because especially in our contracts, like they own the content. Uh, so my, my thought process is I have carousels for them. And if they need resources on how to make videos, I have those as well, just from paying for various programs and courses. So I have everything they need to go and do other platforms, but I don't do it for them. So that's kind of, it's like my done with you part. How do you know when and if it's worth it to expand into other platforms? Yeah. So for other platforms, it's, it's a couple of things. So there's two kinds of clients. There's the client who is native to X and it's their first platform. So if they're that client, then in my opinion, you need to hit twenty to $30,000 a month before you can even think about going to other platforms because that's really much, that's really your validation phase. Granted, it also depends on kind of what your offer size is and what your what your niche is. That being said, for like a typical how to make money offer, that is like $30,000 a month plus just on Twitter is like, all right, maybe you can now start to go inside the platforms because it, basically the way it works is you'll go up to $30,000 a month plus, you'll need to hire a closer because if you're getting four or five calls a day, you pretty much have no time to do anything else if your founder closing at that point. So you hire a closer, they take your time back. Then you can now use your, that newfound time to go and do video. And basically, once you're above, then you're all you're ever focused on is video. That's pretty much what it looks like for someone who's native to X. The other person is the person who's already doing other platforms and they're coming to X as like an additional platform. At that point, they're already doing them. So usually, I've never met anyone who's LinkedIn native. So... Usually it's Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and then they want to go to X. And then the last platform that they ask about is either email or LinkedIn. In that case, we'll tell them how to do it right away if they want to. But most of the time, they're just like, eh, I don't need to go on LinkedIn. <laughs> it's interesting because the, the way I, I see it, and again, like it's okay to disagree with stuff because there's many ways to score a goal. Right. But the way I see it, part of it is always email. Like No matter what platform you build in, it's just take people to the email list. And if it one is working well, just the one. Like that's how I think about it because it's like expectations. If you pitch on social every time or every day, it's like a little bit like weird because people go on social to be entertained. But once someone joins your list, it's a request for help, not knowledge. It's help. So if they join your list, then it's okay to pitch them every time. So that's why my priority lately has always been just, not always, but lately it's been just grow the list. And for me, that's the most powerful channel. I always... For me, it's like I've seen people, I've seen so many businesses hit $100,000 a month without even touching email and just having being a one organic platform. And then they're like, okay, I should probably do email. So I, there's, I guess there's multiple ways. I've had a client that came in at zero, didn't even have a product, just an idea. We built, it, built out the product, but then launched him on X. He hit like 20, 30K a month. Then he expands 
to Instagram and Instagram turned into a hundred K a month channel by itself while Twitter was still like 20, 30 K a month. I was like, and they were using our copy and I was just like, oh fuck, like, I would get a piece of that pie. Uh, but it was, it was still great to see because I'm like, some people just hit on different channels. And I think that's also important too, because I don't think every offer will hit on just X or hit best on X. I think some offers will absolutely max out on Instagram. Some will max out on X. Some will max out on LinkedIn. Some will max out on email. So I think that's also important. That's why it's important to expand is because you'll kind of find other platforms that do really well for you. I think you found that as you, when you left Twitter and you found other platforms, you're like, well, these did really well, but you ultimately found that email did really well. And I think every offer has its platform and the other platforms are also good, but they're more supplementary. So you kind of find your main, like you'll find your main hub. <laughs> well, in that case, I got two wives. I got eggs on Instagram, but uh, like both are working at, all the time. Like X has been the greatest one for me. But Instagram, man, like we closed maybe like thirty percent of the clients from last month came from Instagram, and that is thirty percent of clients compared a like fifteen thousand follower audience versus a two hundred and ten thousand follower audience. Like the ratio there tells you that Instagram is way more powerful. At least the way I built it, which is why I'm so like adamant and so annoying and obnoxious and just build it the right way. Build the thing with whale bait. Like look at the results. Look at my engagement. It's quite shit. Like a lot of people just don't engage with my stuff. And uh, sometimes it's hard to find buyers on Twitter. But if you build it the right way on other platforms, like Instagram, it's working really well. And that's why it's worth it doing it the right way from the beginning with whale bait, not fish bait which is a video you can check on the channel if you want. Yeah, I, I'd also, I just like, I've, have you ever met somebody who's like, yeah, I do YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and email, and they all account for exactly one fifth of my sales. Never happened in my life. I've, I've seen it. It's, it's like everybody has their big platform that accounts for most of their sales at any given month or any given quarter, any given year. And then the other platforms are supplementary, but you're building so that you can kind of build a moat around your business and build a little bit of redundancy so that in ultimately that's why you go to email so that you own your audience, but you're building other platforms so that you can build a moat around your business. But at some point you need to just start and validate. I don't know, you know, for you, you probably work with more people that are early stage than I do, but do you have them launch on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter and email all at once if they're at zero, or do you say focus on one or two? Neither. I say go private. Go DMs. I say craft a small offer that's very targeted to a certain amount of people and get all the maybes. People who told you no, I consider them maybes. People you've talked to in the past, people who've shown interest and DM them first, validate it first in private. Once you get a bunch of no's and a few yeses, then eventually you start creating a really good offer. That is the one you promote in one channel. So I don't actually validate in a certain platform. I validate privately. And then I make them go in one channel with an offer that's already validated, which is like, if they get three sales with a hundred people, then it's like, okay, this is worth it. Like we can we can push this. And um oh we can talk about the pizza email. Remember that email essentially yesterday? Yes. Yeah. I want to talk about this. I think this was good. So I'm gonna read you an email I sent. I'm gonna send. This email will help you sell more of your offer because it's really weird that you send your offer first try and it does great. And then on the second month, you send out the same offer that's better has more proof and it does worse. Why? It's because of novelty. Novelty makes every offer better. People love new. It's why they buy the latest iPhone every new year. And this is why they cheat on 10 year relationships just for the thrill of a night. It's because novelty, we're addicted to novelty. It's a drug. You know, people just want dopamine, man. 
People just want novelty, man. People just want something new. So the way I think about promoting offers is not a big believer in tweaking a lot of your offer. More on this as follows. At the risk of sounding stupid, offers are like pizzas. All pizzas are 95% the same and 5% different. Dough, cheese, sauce, those come with every pizza. Only the topping changes, which is kind of how I think about offers. Offers just stay 95% the same, but change 5% every time you make them. Example, you run a car wash. Everyone gets the exact same offer, car wash. But you can offer a free waxing as well, only if they sign up today. That's how you make the same offer look new every time. You keep 95% the same, but change 5% every time you make it. So example on this, that's actually practical. A few people joined Likes and Cash and a few people left. And last week we had the biggest influx of clients we ever had and I freaked out because I don't do one-on-one -on -one calls, but I sent them all my one-on-one -on -one calendar link because I thought they could do really well. So there you go, guys, one-on-one -on -one call. And I think the calls were really good. And uh, I actually enjoyed them. Like for me to enjoy Zoom, I hate Zoom, but those were actually kind of nice. And I thought, well, maybe this isn't so bad. So what I did was to the list, that I've already pitched this offer. Let me tell you, bro, like the, the guy that I, that closed with this email, he made, he counted it. He made a, he went in his email and counted it. I've sent that guy 530 emails. Can you believe that shit? That's crazy. Just from the beginning. And this is the one that converted it. It was the same offer I've been pitching over and over again. But this time I said, for the next three people, you get a one-on-one -on -one call if you sign up. Fill up the three spots. Done. It's the same offer. 95% of the offer stays the same, but you change 5% every time you make it. And that little 5% change, if you make it look huge, it makes it look like an entirely new offer. And that is how you keep promoting the same offer, but you get more sales every time because you change it every time and you have the novelty aspect every time, which means that people will feel like it's new and you're trafficking dopamine and people love that stuff. So change 5% of your offer every time you make it. I like to do that with current events. Like uh, since my offer is is very based on a social media platform, X, I like to then almost I, every time something new happens with X, I promote it myself. I'm like, oh, new feature. This is huge for X. You know, X just hit 550 million users. That's huge. Grok AI just dropped. That's huge, right? Ads are back. Huge. We just got a new 100K a month case study. We're back. Like it's almost like it's always been the 95%, which is, you know, X marketing. But it's always a new topping, which is either a new current event, new news, new feature, new this, new that. So I, I, I do that without actually knowing about the pizza analogy, but it's interesting. Yeah. And you could also do, run it with uh, times, seasons. It's Black Friday, right? What are you going to yeah. do for Black Friday? You can launch a Black Friday special. It's going to be Christmas. What are you going to do for Christmas? It's going to be New Year, New Me on January. What are you going to do? And then it's Valentine's and then it's fucking St. Patrick. And then invent something. Maybe it's your birthday, but just have a reason why. You know, it's interesting. Like every time you change it. I actually, what I always, I never, I never thought he would be this way, but I was listening to the Steve Jobs biography. And I always thought that Steve Jobs would be a lot like Elon Musk in terms and like, or even Jeff Bezos and just say like product, product, product. And he was super big on product, but he actually loved advertising. He loved advertising. He actually had a favorite advertising firm in the eighties and nineties when he was coming up and, and growing the first apples and the first Macs. And he was just, he loved advertising. He would get so creative that he would make advertising to the point where it wouldn't even show the product. He had an ad, he had an ad that was based around that book, 1984 by George Orwell. And it was just like all about totalitarianism, like dictators. And it was just like this weird ad. And the, the, the actual board hated it because it had, didn't show the product, didn't show the features or anything like that. But it was just interesting that Steve Jobs loved advertising, 
it was really was really keen on it even though you would always think like steve jobs only cared about products so that's something to think about i think um advertising and marketing is a, is a bit underrated like you have if you can always put a seasonal wrapping on it or some new flavor or something like that you can kind of just always package it up as something new forever i call it reason why marketing like when you have an offer first of all offers when they bring them to me and when i see them i have found that most offers are like okay and they're good to go in my opinion i'm like this could sell but what they're missing is a reason why like why now is it an event is it a bonus is it a free component that you're adding to the offer is it because it's your fucking birthday bro like black friday i don't know like add something that'll make people act now and that is like in my opinion what people are missing is not a better offer but more reasons to do things now if you could tweak that part of the offer and that is huge and it's really good. Starbucks does this really well. And that's probably why they do the birthday drink. They're like, if you go too long, like without uh, without some Starbucks, you might lose the addiction. So they give you a free drink on your birthday. What they do it really well is like, I don't know, at the beginning of November, if you go to Starbucks right now, all of the cups, the whole menu, everything is Christmas. Everything. The cups are red. Everyone knows that when Starbucks comes around holidays times, everything turns holiday theme, holiday drinks, holiday wrapping, the cups are red and with polka dots. So they give you a reason to go get Starbucks again if you haven't gotten it for a while. And I think they do that year round. They're always giving you something new. They're always coming out with new secret drinks. I think uh, that's probably why Starbucks is so successful is they're really good with that. And they kind of have a cult. I just recently found they have like a cult uh, following of people who collect rare Starbucks cups. People collect the Starbucks things like these and they just collect them with the Starbucks logo and they're all different colors. There's glow in the dark, color changing. It's insane. Yeah, what a business. <laughs> you know that in uh, in Australia, they have a saying for Starbucks. It's uh, going to Starbucks for coffee is like going to prison for sex. You're gonna get some, but it's gonna be rough. <laughs> just just hard cut the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We got, we got, we got a few more. I want to make some comments. I thought, <laughs> hey man, I'm just, hey, I'm exposing you to new cultures, bro. Speaking of new cultures, let me expose you to the Ukrainian and Polish culture on that. Did you know that there's no Starbucks in Ukraine? It's Starbucks. Why? Beats me. There's no TJ Maxx in Poland. It's TK Maxx. Why? Beats me. They're just these different brands. I've never heard of it. It's just where you guys really want to be edgy in Poland. <laughs> they really want to be different. <laughs> no, man, don't ask me. Look look at my eyes, bro. Do I look Polish to you? <laughs> you know, I'm with my friend, Sebas, right? So he, he, he he's white and he, he has sort of curly hair and like kind of a little bit of like brownish hair. So like, it's funny because we'd go to the restaurant and they'll speak Polish to Sebas. It's like, I don't understand. And then to me, they look in my face and they don't even try. They just start speaking English right out the gate. Like they know I'm not going to speak that thing. That's funny. Do you have a, so I have a wrap up if you're, when you're, when you've went through everything. Ah, uh, you can wrap up. Okay, cool. So I'll pull it up on my phone. I feel like we should take time to appreciate the people who DM us. And I got a DM. It was, uh, Marcos, you don't know me, but I've watched three or four, <laughs> three or four of the, the podcast streams you've done with JK. Bravo. So shout out to Antonino because. We appreciate the listeners. Real one. I don't know if you got Thank any you. Uh, DMs recently. No, bro. They only DM me. The podcast DM you. Yeah, <laughs> they don't DM me. So I'm like, and I've, I've gotten more, but they I, they let I let them get buried. And I'm gonna try not to let them get buried. You should do a little shout outs at the end because we appreciate you guys. Yeah. So some people, this podcast has been really good, and like I think it's really hard to grow because we're like kind of getting the same views as we got from the beginning. But I can 
like I can feel some people being like, yo, like this guy's dropped the podcast. I'm going to listen. Hey, I'm at the treadmill. I'm listening to these two motherfuckers talk about anime. So thank you all. That is very kind of you. Thank you. I wonder if you got to get, you got to pull up the stats on uh, the listening platforms outside of YouTube. I'm curious if anyone, I I'm personally listen to podcasts almost exclusively on Spotify, but um, I know like YouTube is a lot of people's main platform now with YouTube TV. But I'm curious what the, what, how many people listen on, on Spotify and Apple? I'll tell you. You have no idea. Not many. <laughs> <laughs> Dos. <laughs> yeah the answer what? is oh there's oh again why do the balloons keep coming up bro you gotta launch a birthday offer are you trolling me it's a sign I feel like you're trolling no, me. i don't know bro look at look at my arms I'm like, <laughs> yeah now <laughs> <laughs> yeah stop stop hitting yourself stop hitting <laughs> well good pod i'll see you in the next one boys cheers <laughs>